0: This is Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli on Lightning Radio. When you look at that game, I think we did a
1: lot of good things five on five. I think that, you know, there was a reason why we were getting all the power plays we did is we had the puck in the ozone and we're, uh, you know, assertive with it and forced some, uh, you know, calls to go our way. So I think, you know, yesterday I think was a day where you could relax, spend some time with family and, you know, really just... Be ready to go today. I think the coaches addressed some things that are going to help us tonight, and you know, put those into
0: effect and be ready to go. The rash, of volume of turnovers haven't been bad. It's the glaring ones, and those are the ones that are stinging us. Big picture-wise, we're actually making ground our, our gains in that area, uh, but it's, you know, it's those big ones to just finding a way in the back of the net. That shouldn't you know, it shouldn't.
1: All right, Coop, John Cooper, talking earlier today. Partner, mm-hmm. who was the who was the, the first one? That was a little tricky.
0: Hayden Fleury. There you go. That was a Kevin Erlinson special, I think, because he was talking to Hayden Fleury. The- first game for Hayden Fleury against his former team, team yes. that drafted him. No doubt. That is because Victor Hedman looks like is not going to play tonight
1: extra day right
0: he was on the ice similar to the other day but did not participate in their power play work which is kind of a dead giveaway that he's not going to be playing so sergachev was on the first unit and cal foot was on the second unit
1: so dealing with that but i think you and i discussed i mean there's there's no rush
0: i think we just hope it's not
1: serious doesn't appear to be.
0: Yeah, and he's on the ice. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it's not, not like, like it's... it's it's serious enough to keep him off the ice or even put him into a red no-contact jersey like Sorelli and Bogosian, who participated in the skate but were in the red jersey. Hedman was not in a red jersey. Yes. People might so... say, well, what's the point of the red jersey besides letting the media folks know <laughs> maybe who's injured? and basically if you're engaged in some kind of a drill and you see a red jersey yes you can see the jersey maybe before you see the the player and so you know not to hit that player in a red jersey you must do not not that there's a lot of hitting usually in morning skates but you're staying clear of somebody in a red jersey
1: have you ever seen somebody hit somebody at one of those and the coaches just lose their mind. No. It usually happens during preseason more than well, not, you would think in the red yeah, season. Yeah,
0: but I mean, not for somebody in a red jersey. You never know. Sometimes you Super. get the fights in the preseason. There may be that Billy teammates. Tibbetts.
1: Yeah. Remember Billy Tibbets? <laughs> he may it crazy, just goes out there, and you're just like, what are <laughs> Billy you doing? Tibbetts. What are you doing? Yeah, you like that old school, huh? Yeah. Old school. So here we are, getting you set for the game tonight. This should be a good one. Lightning and Hurricanes. I feel like it's always a a pretty good battle. And Carolina, I think, has been one of those teams over the last three to four years. Maybe even a little longer, depending on how far back you want to go. That's been, at least in the postseason, right below the elite teams. In the regular season, I always feel like they've been one of the better teams. Usually they'll have a a really good record, and they'll finish high in the standings. And they're well-coached. That's one of the things that we always discuss, as are the Lightning, of course. Mm -hmm. But I always feel like at least come playoff time, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I'm just going off the top of my head here, their success is not the same in the postseason compared to what they've done in the regular season. Well,
0: that to this point is true. I'm going to fire a question back at you. Ooh. Because I think if you're a Carolina Hurricanes fan, Mm -hmm. you can look at what happened with the Colorado Avalanche and say, well, maybe we can be the next Avalanche, which is to say a team that has been good for a number of years but didn't meet expectations in the playoffs until finally they did meet expectations in the playoffs. Like, it was a matter of time, and they had some massive disappointments when they didn't get as far as they would have liked. But it finally came together for them, and they won the whole thing. And I guess my question to you is, do you see a parallel between Colorado pre-last year and where Carolina is today?
1: In terms of expectations and coming up shorts for well, that like that's, the team?
0: Yeah, I mean, do you think it's fair if Carolina, and I don't know if Carolina is looking at Colorado and saying this, but I see a team in Colorado that was regarded as a top team but couldn't get past the second round and in, in the last several years. And then they won the Stanley Cup. Carolina has been a top team for the last several years in the regular season, as you mentioned, and Carolina cannot get past the second round. So, well, they did, actually. Like Brendamore's first year, they did, but they were an upstart team. They lost to the Bruins in 2019. So, I'll give you my answer, and then you can kind of think about Please it. Do. I do not think that's a good comparison. Okay. But I'm wondering if, if you feel that Carolina could be like a Colorado and and take that next step forward. So, I'll,
1: look at, I'll, I'll take it this way. Because I think Carolina and Colorado— while they probably enjoyed similar success in the regular season, I think how they did it was different and how that was supposed to be translated into the postseason, the expectations probably needed to be tempered. And what I mean by that is Carolina's really not made up of a ton of elite players or star players. No, that's not to take away from partner, the guys they have on their team who are very skilled. I think you and I have discussed Sebastian Aho. He's a very solid player. Svechnikov, I think, is somebody that they think could grow into maybe an elite power forward. But when you look up and down their lineup, maybe their back end is where their elite players are. hmm But I don't know if they have a Nathan McKinnon. That's I don't think they have a Gabriel I don't even think they have a Gabriel Landis. Guy. Yeah, they certainly don't have a Makar. And a Makar and a Rantanen. Yeah. We liked Rantanen a lot in the playoffs. So to answer your question, they're very similar in the postseason or in the in the regular season. But I think in the postseason, the expectations change because I think Colorado was expected to go farther. And it is farther, right? Not further. Farther, I think, is the actual distance, isn't it? Anyways, it's
0: always, it always... Yeah, it always I would actually deposit. say... So farther, I think, is... You throw if you're like looking mileage on a road, <laughs> so I think so it this would, one be would be further, further yeah, okay. because we're talking about the idea of getting. I love that further along in the
1: playoffs. We we learn English on. Yeah, the we station. need we need a, a
0: a wordsmith to, I love to call in. I think the show right. and I think you're right. but I think that's so what I, it is.
1: I think many people thought that Colorado, because of the star power, would be further along in the playoffs, more so than Carolina, because I think Carolina. It's more of a a team effort, mm-hmm. and not one guy is going to carry them. And look, y- you can win that way. I think it, you it can. might be a little bit harder. I think it might be harder in the playoffs to just say, you know, top to bottom, are really solid, but we don't have elite players up and down the lineup. I think, I think in the playoffs, you do need an elite player here and there to make a play, maybe even to win a series yeah. or even a game specifically. So I, I would answer your question. I think it's unfair probably to compare the two even though they've had similar success in the regular season. And up until last year, it never translated into
0: the postseason
1: because I think expectations were greater because of the personnel on Colorado's team compared to Carolina.
0: Yeah, so I have a couple reasons why I'm not crazy about that comparison. Of course, I broached it, so I kind of set up a straw man argument there. I love it when you broach it. But here are the two differences that I see between the Colorado trajectory and the Carolina trajectory the first is what you just said Colorado has one of the top players in the entire league at forward in Nathan McKinnon and one of the top players in the entire league on defense in Kel McCarr I'm not sure Carolina has any player that would fit that description understanding that Ajo is a very very good player sure more than good He's a great player. But is he Nathan McKinnon? Is he a game breaker? I'm not certain that we can say that. So that's one big difference in how the team is constructed, Carolina's team as opposed to Colorado's team, and you touched on that. The other other difference that I would bring up is Colorado really had two seasons of massive disappointment, 2020 in the bubble, and 2021. In 2020, they were absolutely decimated by injury in the bubble. Now, they had an excruciating loss to Dallas. They were up in game seven late and couldn't seal the deal, and they lost in overtime. But they did have a ton of injuries that year. And then in 2021, they lost to their arch rival in a very heated, emotional series. They happened to see Vegas in the second round. They could have seen Vegas in the third round. It didn't play out that way. So you could say, well, Carolina lost to the Lightning in 2021, and the Lightning went on to win the Stanley Cup, and that is true. And Carolina had some injury problems last year in net. Both Frederick Anderson and Auntie Ronta were unavailable basically throughout the Ranger series. Right? Yes. Well, Anderson wasn't. Ronta got hurt in the seventh game, which was the game that they lost to to cost them the series. And and he had been out earlier in the series. But I think the difference is that Carolina is is built differently. You know, they remind me more of the 2019 St. Louis Blues where and you just said a team that's built like Carolina can win the Stanley Cup. the Blues did in 2019. Very well coached now the Blues were not as go 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 as Carolina, but we're talking about like everybody pulling on the rope one to to 18 plus the two goalies plus the extras. you are you are imposing your will on the other team and doing it regularly. Yes. I think that's what Carolina, when they are at the top of their game, that's what they do. And it's not one guy necessarily. It's everybody. And that's why they are so hard to play because they can roll their four lines and one line just picks up right where the other line left off. And we've seen games. I asked Coop about it this morning, like, when the Lightning have done a better job of limiting Carolina's possession time, what have they done? What have the Lightning done? And he said, well, when we get into these games where you know they're just shot retrieval, shot retrieval, shot retrieval, you look up at the scoreboard and shots are 20-5 to five, Carolina. And we've seen games like that. And they do it to not just the Lightning, they do it to other teams too. They were number one in the league last year in shots allowed per game, which is to say the fewest. They also led the league in team defense. So they don't allow a lot yeah. of shots. So here here are the three numbers you need to know about Carolina last year, and I'll tell you their numbers this year. Last year in the regular season, they led the league in fewest shots allowed per game. They led the league in fewest goals allowed per game, and they were dead last in the league in block shots. So if you are suppressing shots but not really doing it by blocking shots, that tells you that, they have the puck a ton. The other team just can't even attempt shots to, to get that number up. Sure. And they did it over the course of an 82-game regular season. That's their formula. So Coop was saying, we need to skate. In the games where we have kind of leveled the, the field, so to speak, we've skated, and he said basically we've beaten their checks. Like, they want to get in on you and, and get a body on you so that you're turning pucks over. He's like, we've moved more quickly to get ahead of their checks, essentially. That's very, very hard to do. And you would think that that might translate to the playoffs. It's not like they are a team. It's almost like full-court press in, in in basketball. Like, if that works in the regular season, you almost think it would be harder in the regular season when you have all these games. But it should work in the playoffs, too. So I'm not entirely certain where it's gone off the rails for Carolina. The Lightning did a good job of, of, of kind of limiting them in terms of their possession and their scoring chance number in the 2021 series, last year was a weird playoff year for them because they didn't win a road game the entire playoff year, and they didn't lose a home game the entire playoff year until game seven against the Rangers in the second round. So they went 0-6 on the road, and they went 7-0 and at home until the last game. That's strange because you think that they're – their style of play would translate well whether they are at home or on the road. So I'm not saying they can't win the Stanley Cup this year. I think they can, but I think that they are a little different than Colorado where it's kind of like Colorado felt that they they left some opportunities on the ice maybe. And whereas Carolina might be saying, what do we need to do? Is there something more that we need to do to get over the hump? Remember we had Mike Maniscalco on, it was the 56-game season. So it was before the Lightning saw Carolina in the playoffs. And at that point, Carolina had lost to Boston a couple years in a row in the playoffs. And he's like, we need to, we being Carolina, need to get a little grittier to take on a team like Boston. Well, I'm not sure they needed to be overly gritty to face the Lightning in the playoffs or the Rangers in the playoffs. Those teams beat them in a different way. So I'm not quite sure what the answer is. They have also had some turnover this year. Niederreiter left as a free agent. They they said goodbye to Tony D'Angelo. They brought in Paul Stastny basically to replace Niederreiter. So the makeup of their team is a little bit different. But their numbers are very similar. So they're still last in the league in block shots, and it's early, but they are second in the league in fewest shots allowed per game. Only the Devils, who have been really badly out-shooting teams from the get-go, have a lower shot allow per game number than Carolina. So even though they've, they've kind of mixed things up a little bit, and of course they, they acquired Brent Burns as well, and and he's gotten off to a pretty good start for them, even though they brought in some new faces, the way they were playing under Rod Brindemore has not changed one iota. And I and guess I th- ultimately we're going to have to see, yeah. like, can they get to the the third round? Can they get to a Stanley Cup final playing this way?
1: You know, and history would say no. History would say you probably can't win a
0: championship
1: this way. And just think about some examples in sports
0: in general, let alone hockey. So you don't see them as the Blues who did win one cup but have not gone deep in the playoffs since.
1: No, because I think the Blues, I mean, when you look back at their team, and I, and maybe I'm looking more partner at the
0: the the rosters and the talent. Mm-hmm. And they did the it two. more like defending rather than defending they did. with puck possession. But Do you think ahead.
1: anybody's similar to Ryan O'Reilly? You know, is dominant. A- at the time, they won.
0: Yeah. Oh, he's very you know? good on faceoffs. I mean, Jordan Stahl is very, very good on faceoffs. face yeah, but Jordan, I, Jordan Stahl doesn't score as much as Ryan O'Reilly. He's never,
1: he's never scored as much as, yeah. as Ryan O'Reilly. You know, Tarasenko at his peak, did, maybe he offsets somebody that Carolina has. But Tarasenko was pretty elite at that point. I know he's, he's had some inconsistencies mm-hmm. after that. And quite frankly, did they— and maybe this is the difference, did they get a goaltender partner who just got really hot? You're talking about the Blues and Bennington. Yes, I'm talking about the Blues. I'm sorry. So when I'm trying to make those comparisons, it felt like maybe the Blues had a little bit more of a a star power ingredient to them than the Hurricanes. And again, maybe it does come off I'm being too critical of of Carolina and the roster that they have. But it kind of goes back to my argument about, like, do you have a, a legitimate number one goaltender? Can you yeah. win? Well, Colorado kind of basically said... And they didn't said, have
0: that number one goalie in the playoffs last year, Carolina.
1: It's a good point. So I actually think, this is my opinion, my... Is it
0: 30,000-foot view? Yeah, 60, well, I think that's, foot view? that's the typical... Is that That's the, the typical flying altitude, but I don't know. Like You can't see very much when you look out understand. the window in an airplane.
1: Well, we, I think if you just make
0: up numbers, I think. Yeah. It, look, we're high up in the air. I mean, we've seen Carolina
1: a lot. We follow the league. My take on them, and I don't know, I, I feel like the pulse might be good, is they might be built more for the regular season than the postseason.
0: Well, there's and, no question that the way Rod Brindamore has them play, like they play in hard. the regular season makes them very, very difficult to, right, to face. Right, because
1: as you know, the ebbs and flows of the regular season, it is very hard to maintain a structure and a level of play consistently. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, we even see the Lightning. It's And the Lightning, some of that, I don't know if they would admit it, but some of that I'm sure is just we've accomplished a lot. We can pace ourselves. We don't need to be go, 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 playing our structure every single minute of every single game. I think that that's where the star players come in. Mm -hmm. You can... I mean, look the other day. Look how weird, strange, that game was that we were discussing with Ottawa. I mean, I bet you Carolina doesn't have many performances like the one the Lightning put in. But you know what? I don't know if Carolina could win if they didn't play their best. Yeah. As regularly as some other teams who have more skill. So, look... They may prove me wrong. And I've told you before, I think Rod Brindamore is one of the better coaches in the league. I think he gets the most out of that team. And that's why I think tonight the Lightning need to be ready to go. Because if they don't, Carolina can really put some crooked numbers on you. You know, if you're not ready and you're not disciplined and you're turning the puck over, I mean, they could score four or five on you easily because they play within a structure. But I think, partner, they have to. And I think it's really hard to play that way. For a whole entire NHL season.
0: But that's it. They do it. You figure if they can play that way for a whole NHL season, they should be able to do it in the playoffs.
1: I think it's tiring. As maybe well. it's what I'm saying. I think that I think it wears on you. And I think come playoff time, that's where you need. Well, maybe you're right. If you don't have your legs. Th- this is just me. And you know what would be a good person to ask? Would not only Brian Engblom, but Phil Esposito. Sometimes you just need your best player to take over a game. Yeah. You know, yeah, and-, and
0: and and I look at their series, I mean, maybe the Boston series, too, although they did win that series. And they were very, very good in their four home games against Boston. But they, they just couldn't get it done on the road throughout the playoffs. So in the Rangers series, they had some things go against them in Game 7. Notably, yes. they fell behind early. The Rangers were very, very good, as we know, on the power play and they lost Seth Jarvis early in that game. That can happen. Like kind of the elements of of success for the Rangers fell into place really early in that game and then they were able to lock it down. But I would say Carolina lost that series not because they lost game 7 because they were unable to win games 3, 4 or 6. That was where they lost that series and The Rangers killed them in special teams. Remember how good Carolina's penalty kill was in the 56-game season? Mm -hmm. And then the Lightning had great success on the power play against Carolina in that playoff series. Well, last year, Carolina led the league again in penalty kill percentage. 88%. They're lower this year, but it's early. So let's see where they finish when it when all is said and done, they also take a lot of penalties, which is kind of strange. Usually, a team that takes a lot of penalties and has to be on the kill a lot doesn't lead the league. Sure. They did last year in the playoffs. Looking at their number, seventy four percent. I can't. All I'm looking at is the full year, of the playoffs. So they are fourteen games. I can't see what they were against the Rangers or the Bruins, but both the Rangers and the Bruins did very well in the power play against yes. Carolina. So you're like, well, what, what changed in the playoffs? Number one, they couldn't win a road game. Yeah. And number two, their penalty kill, which maybe is one of the strongest parts of their game, like sprung a leak. And it's two years in a row now that their PK has sprung a leak. And that penalty kill is very similar to how they play five-on-five. It is like aggressive puck pursuit, go for it, try and steal pucks, get them down the ice, give the opposition no time. But if you get guys like Zibanejad and Kreider and Fox who can move the puck quickly, I mean, that, that aggressive penalty kill can be broken down. And I guess that's what happened in that series last year.
1: Yeah, and I don't want to, look, dwell too much on their past
0: issues, if you right. want to call it that. They're but you were saying, teams. like, it's hard to sustain that over the course of a regular season. And maybe you're right, and maybe it has it bled into their special teams play in the playoffs. Could also, be. you may be seeing a team, not every team is a dominant power play team in the playoffs, but remember we were talking about in the East, those eight teams all over 100 points, all had really good power plays. Toronto's power play, Boston's yeah. power play, Rangers' power play. It's a good point. Washington's power point. play. Yeah. Retro Jersey tonight, partner. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit more about the lane. We spent 25 minutes on... Well, Carolina. we kind of just talked about the you know, the but you team know they're they're an interesting tonight. team. I mean, I think they're a very interesting team because they don't play like a lot of other teams. They're very unique. Their coach is definitely a firebrand sort of coach. He's a terrific coach, and yeah, this is the first time we're seeing them this year. Brian Engblom is going to be stopping in. In fact, as I say that, he's walking through he's the door. So this might be a good opportunity to segue from Carolina to the Lightning. So we'll let Brian get settled in. But yeah, it is the first of six. Reverse retro nights for the Lightning. So is it is it reverse retro because they're wearing white at home? Because if you're going retro, that's backwards. So isn't reverse retro meaning you're going into the future? I'm, I'm thinking too much about words today, my friend. <laughs> Not everybody who's got the reverse retro in the league is wearing white, but the Lightning are. So Carolina's in black tonight. I mean, what do you think of the jerseys, Brian?
2: I've had a lot of reverse retro nights, I can <laughs> yeah. tell you that. <laughs> what what year is it? Is yeah. it twenty one fifty two? Exactly. Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm just I think it's great. You know, it's great for the league. You see all the different jerseys around yeah. the league. Not all of them I, are I'm white interested though, to I know. see what they look like literally on the ice. I mean, I've seen them hanging up, you know, on the yeah. on the wall in the stalls whatever. But it's a different effect when you get, you know, six guys out there including your goalie on the ice at any time or in the warm up. Like the Buffalo ones last night, I was kind of like, "Wow, with those white pants. That was that was a, a little much for me. I'm not a big fan of white pants, but uh, overall, you know, it's it's interesting to uh, to watch them. So yeah, I, th- I think it's great for the league. Like White don't have pants. A pair of,
1: Sorry, you don't have a pair. I was to say you don't have a pair of white jeans. <laughs>
0: yes,
2: I do. Did <laughs> Lightning wear I white
0: mean, pants in the Stadium Series I though, last year?
2: I think they did. They white gloves for sure. Uh, yeah, I love the white gloves. That's great. That's it's a throwback to the California Golden Seals, the first teams that ever really kind of went out there. Shouldn't their and pants have been Charlie golden? And that was Charlie O'Finley, remember, owned that team, <laughs> and they had white gloves. They had white skates.
0: Shouldn't they have been golden though?
2: If they were the Golden Seals. Yeah, they had Seals? some. They had some golden yellow on there for sure. They had the white skates, and back then they they, they uh, not ma- not from the manufacturer. The the uh, trainers had to dye them white all the time. So they had white this white polish, they had to c- carry around liquid polish that they had to put on the skates and at the end of every night you could just see all the black marks, you know, from this, <laughs> you know, from the tape on the sticks and everything. I think it was a good way for the coaches to go like, "Hmm, your skates are pretty white. <laughs> you better get in the corners a little more often." <laughs>
1: So, Brian, I, I'm curious, you know, Mish and I were talking about Carolina game tonight, Lightning, we know they're they're starting to play better. Their record is reflecting that. What's been the biggest difference for you, what we saw maybe early in the season, compared to maybe where we are now?
2: Uh, I think their game is coming around. Um, really, it is the new, you know, the new faces. Um, on, on defense, you know, you got different guys in there. Uh, so the feel of, uh, of the team changes when your back end changes, how the forwards get the puck, how much time you spend in your own zone. They've actually done a good job because overall they're not spending a ton of time in their own end, not as much as I thought they might statistically for a while because of the new faces and rotating guys in. Um, to be honest, I think, too, overall as a team, this is the first time I thought I might see it last year, maybe even the year before. I thought I saw some lag. I felt some lag from all the games from going to the cup finals three straight years I felt like it was in the air a little bit at the beginning of this year more so than last year or the year before I guess it was just time it was going to happen so some of that you know it's just a a mental thing like hey let's let's get going here these points are, are important and Coop's always been a you know big one to push that right I mean they have made some uh, made up some great ground in the last couple of years. Like you, they get themselves into the playoffs in the first two and a half months I mean, when, when other teams are lagging and, you know, kind of swimming around. So I, I think he's doing the same thing again here, like trying to get their attention. And November is going to be huge. What is it? Uh, 15, 15 of the next 20 or something like that? Including the game against Ottawa, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a huge stretch where you have to make up some points. And I'm sure he'll, he'll be pushing hard to do that again. Definitely
0: unlightning like for a young player, by young I mean new to the pro game, to jump right into the NHL. I'm talking about Nick Purbix. Yeah. What has he shown you? What do you think he's shown the coaches that has kind of paved the way for him to, to slot in as quickly in terms of his professional hockey trajectory, even though he's 24, yeah. sooner than a lot of other guys
2: at that position as well? His understanding of his position like he he owns his position. He knows what he's supposed to do. So that part of the game doesn't change. But what's what's impressive is that he has to literally get up to speed with the star players in the league and nobody, no system, no coach, no watching video, nothing, nobody, nothing can do that. Until you get out there on the ice and you actually get out against Matt Barzell on the Islanders and you watch him change gears coming up the ice at you. You know, it's like playing against for him, playing against Braden Point and in, in the uh, practices or, you know, big, heavy guys like Barkov in Florida, two completely different style players. You have to feel that. But he's really good at knowing his position and understanding what his skill set is. And that's what it is. It has to match up. What I say this all the time. What do I have to do to get my job done? I'm not Victor Hedman. I'm not Chernak. You know, and they do it differently, very differently. Hetty's a freak of nature because he's such a great skater and plays on instinct. Chernak's more of a you know stay at home up and down. I'm just talking to him this morning about making that adjustment playing with Hetty more this year instead of of course McDonough over the last couple of years two very different players. but Perbix is as I'm sure they've said to him just play your game and Sergachev has you know got to look after him because Sergey, even though he's younger, he's been in the league five years and he's the one looking after him. Well they fit. And that helps an awful lot, too. We don't talk enough about chemistry on defense. We talk about it all the time on forward lines. Yeah, you have to have this guy, and you have to have that guy, and how do they play together, and you have to have scoring, no doubt. You have to have it even more on defense because you don't have time to talk and say, I, I, I've got him, I, you you got him. No, because guys are crisscrossing, and things are happening, and there's turnovers. So you have to have a feel for your partner right away, and – he and have really clicked right away. I can't explain that. They can't explain it. When it doesn't work, you can't really explain why it's not working. But it's the coach's job to say, eh, those two guys aren't very good together. Well, Sergachev and Perbix got together, and it clicked right away. So there's a comfort level. He moves the puck very decisively, very quickly, and he snaps the puck. Like, he understands. He, He makes a pro pass. And a lot of guys, when they first come in, they're a little soft in that direction, in that part of the game, excuse me. And they just kind of feather it up there, whatever. It turns to a lot of turnovers, puts the forward in trouble because everybody's so quick to read. So all those little details, he seems like he's been here for a year or so already, and good for him. Brian
1: Engblom joins us here on Power Lunch on Lighting Radio. No, know it's interesting, Brian, when you have a lot of competition for not a ton of spots, and let's focus on the back end, you're hoping that there's a trickle-down effect and that guys are— playing well when they get the opportunity. With Perbix, I don't want to say cementing himself in the lineup, but maybe we can we can say that for now. What have you seen from the other defensemen who have found themselves at times on the outside looking in? Do you see any one of them maybe, you know, kicking the butt saying, "Okay, let's go. Competition's good, but I I have to show the coaches why I need to be in the lineup."
2: That's what it's about, exactly. And Perbix has thrown a wrench into the system a little bit because he came in and had a great camp. And then they went, okay, well, let's give him a preseason game. Okay, let's start him for the season. Okay, we keep playing him because he keeps playing well, you know, things we were just talking about. So he's thrown a wrench into the system. In, in for me, looking at it from the outside, you have uh, Flurry and Myers who are two of the same guy to me. They've been around about five, six years in the league, but they've kind of lost their way over the last year or so. They've had, they played on different teams. They, for whatever reason, after five years in the league, are still not regulars. So something has happened there. And so they've lost confidence. And that's so it's a rebuilding thing. You see this all the time, and I'm sure, like, if you have a blind – training camp and you don't know who these guys are and you're just watching 25 players out there you'll go i'll take him and i'll take him on defense meaning flurry and myers because they're tall they're rangy they skate they have good movement they pass the puck they shoot the puck they have all those things go great i'll take that guy and that guy so as i said a moment ago they still have not become regulars so that means their confidence level their ability to get the job done on a regular basis has not quite been there Um, and then they've had other guys pass them by so now it's sort of happening again like purbix for now at least has passed them by until he you know fails at it or drops off or whatever you want to say if that's going to happen so that means The NHL is a jungle, not just the guys you're playing against, but the people in your own organization who want the same job that you have. And so I think Myers and and, uh, Fleury have been uh, subject to that and victims of that where other younger players, maybe outside players have come in and just passed them by. They're better. They're more consistent. And the coach goes, I want that guy. Him, not so much. We'll keep working with him. Well, the Lightning have acquired Myers, And flurry because they see the skill set and the package and everything, and they go, we have a really good team. We can sort of help rebuild them, get that confidence level, and we'll have that player. So that's what I see is what this is all about, and the process is still ongoing. One of the questions, one of the
0: many questions the Lightning had going into this year, figuring out how to replace the guys that departed. We talked about Sergachev slotting in a little bit more of a McDonough was, who's going to play with Hedman for Jan Ruda. The other was Pallott. How has Brandon Hagel been able to mesh so well with Poin and Kucherov so far?
2: That uh, he's had a chance to get that chemistry going uh, to find out. I think the advantage that he has is he, he played a lot with Patrick Kane in Chicago. Now, Kucherov and Kane are about as close together style-wise as you can get. Either, neither one of them is at high speed very often, you know, they're, they're making the plays that we see Cooch make all the time. So you have to understand how to get to open ice. I talked to Hegel a little bit about that even last year. And, and then the rest is adapting to, to, you know, what those guys like. Cooch runs the show. So does Brayton Point, Point. And, and they should because they're stars already. So then what what do I have to do if I'm Brandon Hagel? Well, he's figured it out. I thought he really pressed last year. He came in with 21 goals. And he couldn't score. And it took him a while. I think he only got four the rest of the year here. So he had a 25-goal year. 25 goals in today's National Hockey League is a heck of a year. So, But you could see him pressing. I got to score. I got to score. I got to score. Well, he was... He finally, I think, settled down and started even his game out, even though he still wasn't scoring that great. He was creating a lot, and he was in on the forecheck and all those other things that coaches measure you by. So this year he came, in, he's he's had some success early on, and nothing succeeds like success. You know, that's where that expression comes from, your confidence again. So he's got a feel now of, of what to do. So now you see him make a play, like he did to Kucherov, we were talking about it earlier, where he gave him a backdoor pass, and Kuch was the one that tapped it in from the edge of the paint. And it was Hagel that made that play. Normally you would have seen that the other way around. So I think Hagel's just in that confidence zone. He doesn't have to think anymore. I think it has started with his forecheck in the L.A. game where a lot of the forwards didn't play that great for the second half of the game, I thought he was the best forward from start to finish. He was really good on the forecheck. He single-handedly turned over two pucks and had a scoring chance for, by himself. He could have been out there alone. That's what it looked like. So when you're doing things like that, it shows you that you have a lot of confidence and you're really on your game. So I think Hagel has had the start that he wanted, and, yeah, he fits on that line.
1: Curious about that. I want to throw this thinking your way. Do you think Hegel's play recently has elevated points in Kucherov's play? And Usually it's the other way around, yeah. but I am wondering, you are noticing Hegel as you mentioned, on the forecheck. He's finishing, he's creating. I think everybody got off to a little bit of a slow start, although Kucherov, Brian, was putting up points. We know that. But could it be the other way around a little bit right now? Is that Hegel's play is given those two guys... A little bit more room, a little bit more space,
2: or am I overthinking that? No, I, I, I think that's fair. I, I, I hadn't thought about it that way, but that, that's certainly a fair statement. Um, I thought Braden Point's first couple of games, he was typical Braden Point going 100 miles an hour. He gives you exits out of the zone, carries the pot, gets in. But not a lot was happening as far as finish goes. Cooch was, you know, doing Kucherov kind of things, but nothing was really happening. It was all just a little off-kilter. And then he started putting the points on the board, and then even his, probably even games four and five, whatever, was sort of like, okay, yeah, Cooch got a you know, point here and there, great, uh, and you need those for sure. Uh, but it just didn't seem like he was, you know, firing on all cylinders. He's gotten better and better, so I think it's fair to say that Hagel has had, a really good effect on them. And look, and Kucherov have been together a lot over the last couple of seasons. I mean, you guys see them. Every time they go back to the bench, they get the tablet out, right? And they they look, and usually it's Kuch doing the talking and the pointing, and they're going, yeah, here, I'm there. Here's what I saw. This is what I'm trying to do. So those two talk a lot. Their other winger changes, you know, Pally, they they could rely on, be a good corner man, go to the net, be the third guy high. Andre Pilat, one of the best two-way forwards in, in, in the game. And and then he always came through in the playoffs, but the top goal scorer in the last two years in the playoffs because he played with those two guys. So a really tough guy to, to replace, even more so in the playoffs. But that sort of complete game is really a necessity on that line, and I think Brandon Hagel is, is well on his way to to being that kind of complete guy because he's got the speed to get back. He's made some really nice back checks on the road. I noticed him a few times. i met some really good reads, and he was the first guy back in the zone like Pally would have been, and he made some terrific plays defensively.
0: Brian, I want to ask you about the Lightning's power play, which had quite an adventurous night against ottawa i think we'd be surprised if they get eight power play chances tonight including a major but it almost seemed like the power play was so discombobulated that with each successive opportunity it got worse and worse and worse i'm wondering can a couple of days removed from that game help the power play or when you struggle that way does it tend to bleed into the next game understanding you're taking on a team that has a very aggressive penalty kill. So if you're out of sync, that'll feed right into what Carolina wants to do shorthanded. In other words, can they turn yeah. the page on what happened on Tuesday? Well, for sure.
2: Every day every day is different. You start over from scratch. Um, momentum is a funny thing, whether it's for a whole team from one game to the next in the playoffs. I've always you know, kind of laughed about that. What does momentum mean from one game to the next? It doesn't mean a lot to me. You know, once the puck drops, you can spend the first, you know, you can have won 10 nothing, uh, and be ahead two games in the playoffs. So you drop the puck to start the third game, and you're in your own zone for the first two minutes. Forget about those first two games, right? You're, you're in that moment. So I think that that's fair when it comes to the power play as well, too. It's a restart, actually, every power play. Um, but from day, from day to day, it's easier to just clear your mind and say, okay, obviously we're against different opposition. This isn't the playoffs. So you're going to get a different look and a different feel. So in, inherently, it's going to be, you know, a different night tonight than it was last game against Ottawa. I, I, think, uh, I think Dave had brought it up um, last time that they had eight power plays in a game, Cooch had five points. Um, hmm. and obviously it didn't go that way the other night. It's It just spiraled down. They started forcing passes through the box. I thought... It, I, I thought Ottawa did a heck of a job. They did their homework. They knew what to expect. They they anticipated the sequencing that the Lightning liked to use. Hetty, the Cooch to Stammer, and that triangle does most of the work, and every once in a while it goes down low to Namastikoff or whatever. But that's the triangle, and they understood when one of those guys have it, don't worry so much about that. Yeah, if Stammer's going to shoot, that's one problem. But... The passes, here's where your sticks have to be. And I thought they did a brilliant job. So we shouldn't overlook the job and the homework and the coaching that went in to that penalty kill. So it's going to be a different thing. This Carolina team tonight is a very disciplined team. Rod Brenda Moore has brought that. He They play like he played. And so the details are really good. So it won't be any easier tonight. I find that, like for Cooch, sometimes he's so brilliant that sometimes – the one-touching of the puck gets a little bit much for me. I wish he would just hold on to it more often because he scares the hell out of the opposition. He does. And when he's one-touching it and they're already cutting off those those seams, um, it's turnover, turnover, and then he gets frustrated. Uh, and then it comes down. The five-on-three, every team does this. You look for the perfect play. You end up wasting so much time on a five-on-three looking for a perfect play, whereas... You should be shooting early and get those three guys really scrambling around. You've got two more guys than they do. Shoot and retrieve, shoot and retrieve. You're going to be pulling them apart and running them ragged. But more often than not, they get to play their little triangle, and everybody moves around the outside, and you take the odd shot, and you hope for that big one-timer, and it doesn't always come. So uh, you try to get too fancy and outthink yourself.
1: What do we make of the third line for Tampa Bay? Is that still a work in progress?
2: Yeah, we've seen different combinations. Um, so I think, you know, Coop's trying to settle things down. I mean, if I'm the players and if I'm the coach, I want to settle things down now and try to, try to get, you know, the right kinds of players. I like Paul at center better than, than at wing. I, I think he's a heck of a player. I think uh, Nick Paul could have 25 goals this year, you know, when he gets scoring and that's you know doesn't even mention the really good you know forecheck puck possession he can really drive offense and change the flavor of a game cuz he drives to the net from almost impossible angles i like that he uses his size as well as he does i think that a guy like ross colton's a little off right now um, i think he's pressing to score i think he wants to make an impression trying to score goals and because of that it's not coming maybe it's a little bit like Hegel when Hegel came last year in the, in the uh, uh, after the trade deadline so ross colton's another guy he should be in 2025 goal man i think he knows that he's got the skill he's on the second power play unit but you know just keep playing and don't stress out and uh, the goals will come so i think that you know, that's a process It's uh, that's still ongoing. And you have to have secondary scoring for sure. And those are the types of guys that you need to score. Vladimir Nemestikov will be one of those guys too. He needs to score. He facilitates a lot of things. But uh, especially if he's going to be on the power play, he's got to be able to produce some points too.
0: Last one for me, Brian. We spent the first portion of the show talking about Carolina and how good the Hurricanes have been in the regular season the last several years What has gone wrong for them in the playoffs, if you can kind of use your your big paintbrush here and and paint a broad stroke? Is it just fluky matchups, or do you think maybe there's something systemic in how the team is constructed that their regular season success doesn't translate as well to
2: postseason success? I think it's goaltending. I don't think they've gotten enough big saves at key times in games and then the team loses a little confidence and uh, if your confidence is off a little bit you start stressing a little bit then they get out of their rhythm they get out of their systems and they are one of the best systematic teams over the last couple of years i mentioned rod brindamore what a terrific two-way player he was and they play uh, the same way he demands it and he's gotten that message across. They have a culture of, they play a lot of man-on-man. I was talking to Chernak about that an hour or so ago. He said they do a lot of man-on-man inside their zone. So you better be quicker than them. you you got to get that extra step offensively, get inside them, get position. And that's not easy because that's the details of the game that Rod Brindamore says, don't let those guys do that. You don't let anybody get inside position on you, and you match up. You find somebody. Don't just stand around and, you know, and, and, hope to to steal a puck here or there. That's the way they play in their own zone. I've always found it interesting against the Lightning in Carolina, maybe even more than on here at Amelie, is that First periods, they'll go in and they will make it a nightmare for Victor Hedman and the, the, the D-men. They'll check and they'll be in your face. And then the second period, they'll come out and, you know, the lightning defense are all amped up. And it's like, we, and then, oh, okay, we've got a little time now. And they're actually sort of playing almost a trap or a one, two, two, and they backed off in the neutral so So they keep you a little off balance. They give you different looks and they're very good at making the changes from one look to the other. But in general, they skate, they turn their lines over, they're in your face, and they put a lot of pressure on you consistently. But in, in the playoffs, you know, you have to have those big goals, whether it's on power play or the big goals at the right time. And I just felt like maybe their goaltending hasn't been quite as good as the guy at the other end of the ice in any given year. And, hey, you know, in, in the playoffs, goaltending is number one for sure. And that's why the Lightning have been where they've been the last several years.
1: I was going to say, Brian, to that point before I let you go, and we appreciate your time as always, we maybe take it for granted. But in addition to the elite starting goaltending, the backup goaltending has been really good. And it's really allowed the Lightning to weather the storm here early on to win games and be in games when their play maybe is dipped. I don't want to say are you surprised by what you've seen, but this consistency is pretty rare, not only for a number one, but a number two in a... Era, Brian, where, as we saw in the offseason, how many teams switch number one goaltenders?
2: Yeah, um, I always kind of laugh about that. There are a lot of teams in the league who have 1A and 1B, and everybody, and they'll pump up that thing. Boy, it's great to have depth in goaltending, and you got to have, you know, everybody knows you got to have great goaltending. When you come down to the playoffs, does a coach want to have to sit, away, lay aw- awake at night going, which guy am I going to play? No. Does John Cooper. Spend one minute thinking about that, about who's his number one guy. No disrespect to Brian Elliott. Brian Elliott knows that. It's Andre Vasilevsky. End of story. And if I'm the coach, I don't want to spend one iota of a minute, uh, you know, trying to decide who's going to be in that. So... Yeah, goaltending is a, is, a, is a funny issue. You want depth. And Brian Elliott's an experienced guy. He's been a number one. He's been a 1A, 1B, and, and he's been a backup. He understands what his job is. And his job is to getting the you know, the dirty end of the stick uh, on back-to-back nights. That's the life of a backup goaltender. He knows it. So he's got to battle. Because the team is not very good on the second night in general, any NHL team. You're fatigued. Maybe you start off good, but you, you have more lapses. You don't finish the game as well. All those kinds of things. And, and you're on the road pretty much all of those circumstances. So, Woody Elliott played, what, 19 games last year? I think he had 11 wins. Pretty darn good numbers. And I remember four or five games, I'd say, conservatively, where the team was pretty lousy. I mean, in front of them, they just did not play very well at all. Gave up two-on-ones and crazy chances against, and Elliott had to really battle to get some of those wins, and others were he deserved a win and he didn't get it because it was the team and not him. But Brian knows what he's up against, and he will get the job done again this year.
1: Well, Brian, this was always fun. Talk hockey
2: with you when we can.
1: Should be a fun one tonight. You bet. And let's see if the Lightning can keep it going here, earning two more points. Thank you, sir. Appreciate yeah, it. Thanks, thanks for Brian. having me,
2: guys. This is going to be a good one tonight. I'm looking forward to
1: it. Yeah, it will be for sure. That is Brian Engblom joining us here. Thanks to all of his great analysis. And if you want to react to anything he had to say, you can at Bolts Radio. Uh, partner, any Final thoughts, closing thoughts, as we uh, get ready for the game tonight uh, between the Canes.
0: Well, looking at the rest of this homestand, and Brian's right. You know, 15 out of 20 at home, you need to make some hay. And they managed to get the win against Ottawa. But there's no question that Carolina is one of the top teams in the league. And don't look now, but Buffalo is right behind the the top team, the Bruins. Buffalo Both is playing teams. really well. They're coming so, in on Saturday. And then you get Edmonton on Tuesday. Buffalo and had a really good win last night. Come yeah. To and again, Pittsburgh. they're out shooting the opposition. No. This isn't one where, like, oh, they got, you know, six scoring chances and they scored five goals, right? Sure. Like, they're almost – they're pressing on the opposition. And the opposition is buckling. So – I understand the Lightning are at home here, but I'm curious when they come out of this four-game homestand, and they've already got two out of two points, so that's great. Let's see kind of how they've done. Because the quality of the opposition, I think, is is what I'm getting at. Like, it kind of makes you notice.
1: No doubt we had a question here for uh, Jim. He wanted us to ask Brian Engblom. And uh, he just I just saw this. He said, enjoy your analysis, especially when you're at ice level, which you could do more, if not most of the telecast. I think he likes that
0: more. Yeah. He's told me that he he enjoys being at ice level. Usually on the road, he can't. Yeah. And then there are certain home games when when between the benches is not available. But I think when it is available, he's down there.
1: Yep. Gives great insight. We love it. Yeah. And uh, we're glad we we're have him on the show. And thank you for listening. We appreciate that as always. All right, we got the pregame skate show tonight. That'll be 6 o'clock with Eric Erlandson and Bobby, the Chief Taylor. You can listen to all of that great coverage right here on these airwaves, the TuneIn app, of course, the Strike 1025 HD2, and uh, make sure you do that. And then, of course, we'll have the broadcast, the network pregame at 6.30, and then the puck drops with you in the Hall of Famer. Yes. Phil Esposito, and then we'll have the last call presented by Jack Daniels, J.P. Peterson, and... Brian Engblom. I think that's the lineup. Should be good. If it's not, we'll correct it. (laughs) So just make sure you stay tuned to these airwaves. But we thank Brian for coming on. Partner, great job as always. We will do this show again tomorrow, noon to one. Sounds good. And I'll talk to you tonight. Yep, I'll see you tonight. Thanks, Steve Ersnick, as always. Thanks to you for listening. We always appreciate it. Hit us us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio. I am Greg Linelli. You've been listening to Power Lunch right here on Lightning Radio.